Hi, and welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. We look at everyday issues from a biblical worldview so that you can trust the sufficiency of scripture and apply its truth to your life as you raise and disciple your kids. All right, everyone, we are back with another Worldview Wednesday. Hey guys, if you didn't know, I am Kelly and joining me is my friend Chelsea. Good morning. It's not really good morning, but I'll just say hello instead. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> it is morning for us. We record in the morning. I it think. is. I think it everybody's going to realize yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. It's when it's, it's quiet in the house with exactly. lots of kids. <laughs> yeah. Any other time we'd have to hide in the closet to do this. But, it's uh, true. Yeah. We're done with those <laughs> closet days. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love Worldview Wednesdays. I know you do too. I love sort of just picturing us sitting around with a cup of coffee, which we had the privilege of doing for multiple days as we were just together in Colorado. Sweet mm-hmm. time. Yeah. But now we're back home in our relative states. And uh, here we go. We're going to uh, do uh, some hot topics going on in the media and the news right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had a great time with you, Kelly. I loved it so much. I was bummed to come home, to it be was. quite honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so when we were putting together this Worldview Wednesday, do you ever feel like you live in a hole? Because <laughs> there's like, there's just too much going on. It is like a rat race trying to keep up with everything. Like it's, it's I, overwhelming. I never looked at the news headlines nearly no. this much before until we no. started saying, hey, let's actually look at the news headlines and then apply, you know, biblical worldview to it. I just never read this many headlines. And there are things that I didn't even, problems in the world, I had no idea existed. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's more mm-hmm. celebrity garbage <laughs> news than I ever thought was like actual news. <laughs> I'm like, my goodness. I was on my walk what? with my husband and and I said, "Oh, did you hear that Tom Brady's getting divorced?" And he's like, "What?" I'm like, "I saw it in my news headlines." You know, I would have never known this. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, True. totally random. Yeah. All right, so go ahead and launch us off with our first headline, Chels. All right, fantastic. Um this is actually an old headline to be honest, but I think it's really relevant to people's kids. Beyoncé has a new album called Renaissance which I find interesting. And I would kind of love to talk more about the historical significance of that being, of that word being used. Um, You know, I hope if we're heading into a Renaissance, then, then I'm going to pray with all my heart that we're also heading into a reformation. But um, I actually had to pull two articles uh, to cover this specific song by Beyonce called church girl. And honestly, Kelly, I'm really surprised that there aren't more people talking about this to be a hundred percent honest, I could be making a mountain out of a molehill, or maybe we've just come to a point as Christian parents where we're okay with the synthesis of our faith and secular culture. Um, I'm not really sure which one it is, but mm-hmm. I was shocked at the at the lyrics. Like, there's not much that can shock me right now, but this shocked me. Um, the school or the song uses an old gospel tract from the Clark sisters called Center of Thy Will. And if you haven't read the original lyrics and Beyonce's lyrics, I would suggest parents that you take a moment and you compare them. Now, to be 100% transparent, I have not listened to the song. I actually refuse to listen to the song <laughs> because it is so heretical. You read the lyrics so and that was enough. I re- Yes, I read the lyrics, but apparently it's a club song to get people dancing in the club. 
And I know that if it has like a, kind of like a catchy beat or, um, I, you know, you get those songs, they uh, call them earworms and they just get stuck in there. Mm-hmm. I, I do not want this song to be an earworm because we are called to guard our hearts and it is a full-blown heresy. Um, <clears throat> so it's really important to understand what's being redefined as, quote, holy by a woman who has a great deal of influence mm-hmm. on our children and teens and perhaps even ourselves. So I pulled this first little bit of an article from GSG Media, and they say the latest offering from Beyonce, Church Girl, is causing her legion of devoted followers to go into a frenzy. The recently published work is right up there with her most captivating, and the artist brings her newly discovered vigor to the forefront of our times. All the tracks are engaging. But Church Girl is arguably one of the most potent songs on the record. Church Girl begins in a reasonably calm and relaxing manner, but suddenly there is a shift in meter and the song transitions into a fast-paced beat, followed by a forthright voice from Beyonce instantly drawing us in. She sings with lots of intensity while talking about the the contradiction between being innocent and naughty. She makes several references to religious girls who act bad and then break loose. Hmm. 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 So, yeah. Hmm. So then I went to Huffington Post and there was an opinion article. And this is an opinion article, folks. It's not not a headline. This is someone's opinion on it. And they, she says this, the the writer of the opinion article says, quote, you know, you got to go to church in the morning, but you're doing God's work. You're going in. End quote. That's a a lyric from the, from the, um, from the song. Beyonce just knows going out out on a Saturday night, but waking up for church in the morning is a rite of passage for many black Christian women. And the truth is we do and can enjoy enjoy both. I used to feel super guilty if I had gone out on a Saturday night, like too much of a hypocrite if I showed up at church the next day, the author says, but actually I enjoy church. So I push past that feeling now and go anyway. I wish 15 year old me could listen to church girl now and release myself from the pressures of moral perfectionism. My teen years up until the end of university were filled with guilt and repression. Church girl is a reminder that our relationship with God and religion is nuanced and defined by our own Mm. story. Mm. So Mm -mm. let's sing it again. Nobody can judge me, but me. I was born to be free. That's another quote, another line from the song. I'm so happy and I can finally feel it. End quote. Wow. So, yeah, (laughs) I, yeah, I mean, like, where do we even start? So I've read as many articles and reviews on this album as I possibly can, particularly this song. And there's two arguments for it. Um, And the first argument that they're using is he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. So, you know what? You can totally listen to this song. No one can judge you because everyone's a sinner. So it's it's fine. And um, yeah, somehow because we're all sinners, we're somehow not al- allowed anymore to discern whether or not mm. lyrics like church girl are good or bad. And we kind of forget that Jesus tells us to judge rightly. And I'm just going to quote John 7, 24. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So Righteous judgment is God's standard of judgment. And then Philippians 1, 9, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment 
So I'm not going to condemn Beyonce to hell because that's not my place, but I can judge her music by God's righteous standard. The second argument being made for this song is that the church folk is that church folk do listen to secular music. Um, So obviously listening to this is okay. Well, okay, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm perfect and I am a person who never listens to music. I love classic rock. Mm -hmm. You know I love classic rock. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if I'm not mistaken, Queen has a song entitled Fat Bottom Girls. That is, well, it's pretty crass. But here's the deal. Freddie Mercury never advocated for his music, never advocated in his music for church folk to keep one foot in secular society and another foot in the church. He never, ever, ever used his platform to spiritually guide listeners as Beyonce is doing in this song. You know, she says that it's okay to twerk and shake the tig old biddies. Yes, tig old biddies. <laughs> that is a line in from the song. In the club on a Saturday night and then wake up for church on Sunday morning. I think the opinion article I read earlier sums up what Beyonce is aiming for, that religion mm-hmm. and personal life is nuanced. And it's defined by my story and not God. So I have a question of parents. Are you, are your kids listening to Renaissance? And if so, have you asked them questions about the meanings of the lyrics, especially church girl? Um, what about the other lyrics from the song? They're really easy to cling to and believe that they're okay, especially when the beat is good or when a strong woman like Beyonce, who has a global platform, tells us it's okay. Mm-hmm. So I would just ask you today, um, when you have a chance, maybe you can have them um, – Maybe you can ask them if they've heard the song. What do they think of being one person on a Saturday night and then another person on Sunday morning? Maybe even share a personal testimony if you have one about how it's hurt you to be two different people trying to please Mm. two different groups of people. I don't know. I mean, Kelly, what are your thoughts on this? So I have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) I can, okay, first of all, I can too immediately go back to when I was a teenager and listened to certain songs. First of all, I don't think I knew half of the meanings of these words Right. right now. But I definitely think, you know, growing up in the 90s, 80s and 90s, I was more innocent. Of, I was just way more innocent of the world because I didn't have access to the Internet. Whereas nowadays, I don't think that kids have nearly the innocence at, say, 16 than what mm-hmm. I would have had at 16. And so I think they definitely know what these, these lyrics mean. Um, Absolutely. And my next thought, you know, is and I've learned this um, raising so many teenagers is parents cannot control what their children listen to. It is Mm -hmm. virtually impossible. I, for example, on my kids' phones, I do block explicit lyrics, but there comes a time when I realize even that doesn't stop them from hearing explicit songs. I mean, they're all around them. Their friends have it and they know exactly what's being said, even though it's being blocked out from whatever version of the song. Um, So the world revolves around this music and whether or not they're taking them all in as like that's their truth, that's their gospel, that's a whole different thing. But the reality is, is I want to acknowledge we can't control what they listen to. So like what you said, having these conversations is super important. Like, what do you think about these lyrics? Mm-hmm. Are are they mm-hmm. are they settling in and sort of giving you a new belief system? <laughs> because yeah, it's that, true. That's mm-hmm. that's you know that's the fear, or at least that is the real concern that they can do. Uh, my next yeah. thought is really to take a humble look at ourselves and evaluate mm-hmm. where there are times and places when we as parents or we as role models, when we have one foot in church 
and one foot in the club, so to speak. Right. You know, are, right. are we going out um, and drinking excessively, um, watching pornography, gambling, um, smoking marijuana? We've talked about this. This is a growing thing for parents to do. Yep. <laughs> and then are we walking yep. into church, you know, on Sunday morning or, you know, Wednesday nights or whatever your church um, routine looks like um, without any repentance or remorse? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the biggest concern is overall, as a culture, we are losing what it means to live holy lives, like Absolutely. what that really looks like. And because it's so diluted, it's just so mm-hmm. diluted that, like she said, um, it's my it's my story. It's my yep. truth. And it has really it's nuanced. Right. It has nothing to do mm-hmm. with God. But it has absolutely everything to do with God. God says be set apart. Mm-hmm. We're not to look like the world. Um, mm-hmm. So I think one of the most common complaints, you know, about Christians, especially from teenagers, if they are doubting their faith or having questions, is that Christians are hypocrites. I mean, that's what the world mm-hmm. really thinks. Because anybody who knows that the Bible says we're supposed to be set apart and then looks mm-hmm. at what we look like and how we walk and what we're doing mm-hmm. on Saturday night versus Sunday morning, they look at us and they say, hypocrites. So when we mm-hmm. pick and choose parts of the Bible that we like and that we want to follow, um, mm-hmm. we just, we do, we are absolute hypocrites to the world. And Jesus has a lot to say about those who cannot decide if they're in or out, if they're hot or cold, right? Like the revelations, a lot of people, you know, have heard this part and he is writing um, at revelations. John is writing a church to the, in Laodicea. And he says, Hey, because you're not hot or cold because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. This is, you know, Christ saying, you're not even going to be a part of my church because mm-hmm. you can't decide. I'd either rather you be completely against the church or 100% in, but walking both lines is not okay. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that, mm-hmm. um, I don't think that the lyrics will make a hardcore Christian teenager feel like they can both party without guilt and go to church. I think of some of the girls mm-hmm. that I mentor and they really, mm-hmm. truly are um, devoted to to Christ and living as holy lives as they possibly can as teenagers. These lyrics, I mean, they would listen to it with their friends, but I don't think that's going to change them. Um, the words don't hold that much power. Um, it's mm-hmm. more of the culture of these lyrics find themselves in, I think, that is really of the problem. We just have so mm-hmm. much passive and progressive Christians hypocritically doing the very things that Beyonce sings about. Why else would, mm-hmm. you know, she'd be singing about them. It's true. This is what, that's what's going on. And ultimately I think of, you know, we just need to examine our lives. Second Corinthians 13, five says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith, test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet this test. And I think that's mm-hmm. ultimately what we can take away is we hear this, we want to become just you know, righteously indignant that this lyric is out there or mad at Beyonce, but she is just singing what is really going on. And she's mm-hmm. culturally affirming it. And as Christ followers and as um, disciplers, whether they're your own children or people that you're mentoring, or if you're a teacher, ultimately it's about not living hypocritical lives to constantly be examining ourselves and aiming to be as holy and sanctified as possible. That's my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but that's, I, I had not um, heard the song or read the lyrics before you brought this up. And I too did not listen to the song. I only read the lyrics and I was like, nah, that's enough. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, <laughs> all right. So let me get to my first article here. Um, I actually replaced another article that we I had already in this script uh, for one that just came up. It's hot kind of in the news, at least at the time of this recording, but this will come out next week um, because I felt like it was such an important article for both parents and kids, and I wanted to touch on it while it was still hot. So here's the headline. New York University chemistry professor says he was fired after students complained class was too hard. So it was posted <laughs> all, all over the place um, on October 4th was when I pulled this. And the article says, quote, a NYU chemistry professor says he was fired after students complained his class was too hard. 82 of the professor's 350 students signed a petition against him saying that he made his class too difficult and was at fault for their failing grades. <laughs> <laughs> he, he says... <laughs> The professor says students were misreading exam, question, exam questions at an astonishing rate. So Jones, this professor, who authored the 1,300-page textbook called Organic Chemistry, wrote in a grievance to NYU that was attained by the New York Times. He also says in the last two years, they fell off a cliff. Now, the, 80, <laughs> the 84-year-old professor said that the college kids... Um, that's what he was saying of the college kids' p pandemic performance. And we are now seeing single-digit scores and even zeros. In their petition, students said that, quote, a class with such a high percentage of withdrawals and low grades has failed to make students' learning and well-being a priority. The students claimed that Jones's class reflects poorly on the chemistry department as well as the institution as a whole and said the professor addressed kids in a condescending and demanding tone. Okay. <laughs> so before wow. I think biblically about this news article wow. and what it says about college students today and even parents, I have a little story. I have to confess to you that when I was a pre-pharmacy student, I was required to take organic chemistry one and organic chemistry two, each a semester long. And I failed both organic chemistry one and organic chemistry too, the first time I took each class. <clears throat> and these failures literally added an extra year of pre-pharmacy work to my load, which includes an extra year that my parents were helping me pay for college, um, not allowing me to apply to pharmacy school until I was a junior. And I was absolutely devastated by this. I felt like a, just my whole world was coming apart as I failed these classes. But you know what? Not only... <laughs> Did I meet my husband now in that extra year that I spent retaking organic chemistries? I also learned how to study. I buckled mm -hmm. down like I had never before. And I figured out new ways of learning, studying, taking notes, getting tutoring. Okay, so now that I am 20 years out of college, I tell my kids this story all the time. Those failures taught me more than any easy to pass class ever did. Organic mm -hmm. chemistry is hard. It is supposed to be hard. It weeds you out of these higher level uh, mm -hmm. programs. This class I read um, in the New York Times, this organic chemistry class is a pre-med organic chemistry class for NYU. Just like my organic chemistry was pre-pharmacy, right? So... <laughs> Wow. They're, meant, they're really meant to be hard. Okay. 
So um, I did read, I read several. This was from the New York Post, but I um, read some of the New York Times and a couple other articles. It's kind of all over the place right now. So one thing I want to recognize is there is a um, ginormous generational gap. He's 84 years old, and we're talking about um, probably 20-year-old Gen Z students. And so this is, I can see that we're, we are very different culture now. The 20-year-old in college is very different than the 84-year-old who think about everything that he's seen in his life. Mm-hmm. It's a whole mm-hmm. different world. So sort of his refusal to dumb down the class to meet his students' lack of effort, studying, um, perhaps even, honestly, their level of inten- intelligence really should never have, in my opinion, uh, warranted his abrupt firing. Um, the mm-hmm. New York Times goes into more detail of, on his teaching efforts that he made to help these failing students and how he made all of these video teachings to like catch them up to speed because they were behind. And so it might be worth taking a few minutes to read that. But when we think about this through a biblical worldview, I immediately think of perseverance. Perseverance mm-hmm. is a character trait that God really wants his children to learn. Not only that, but you know, scripture warns and has a lot of admonitions against laziness. Like it's very crystal clear. If you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't work, you don't deserve to eat. I mean, like there's, there's it's true. Very clear mm-hmm. about working hard. Mm-hmm. And I think most of us can recognize, yes, the pandemic definitely set a lot of our kids back, but it was kind of brewing before then. Um, a lot of um entitled um kids maybe who've never worked and teachers and, and public institutions, educational schools that have just sort mm-hmm. of passed kids along and not required a lot of hard work because that's mm-hmm. how you get government funding is when all of your mm-hmm. students pass and you have a high graduation rate. And so it's, it's you know, kind of very um, multifaceted problem. But hard work mm-hmm. not is not only just going out there and, and doing some manual labor. Hard work can be organic chemistry. Hard work can be medical school. Um, you know, the, the Bible doesn't specify, but, but it does say that we are called to hard work. And not only that, Colossians 3.17 says, you know, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And mm-hmm. a little bit later, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you're working for the Lord and not human masters. I love those. And to me, that motivates everything that I do in life. And you know, these students' effort and petition to get the professor fired or at least forced to make the class easier is not an example of doing work as if for the Lord. And obviously, maybe mm-hmm. these kids are not Christian, but this is something that we can be really helping our kids understand now while they're still in our home before they get to college. Um, mm-hmm. This is just laziness. Doing their work for themselves or their parents, or maybe it's is that they're not doing their work at all, much less they're not doing work for the Lord. And, you know, Romans 5.3 says, we are also to glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And I think as parents, we have to let our kids fail and experience setback, disappointment, and building back and rising up because that's, that's where perseverance is, is found. That's where it is developed. There's no other way to develop or produce perseverance. You can't buy it, you know, on Amazon, order it and have it. <laughs> it only comes from suffering a failure or a defeat or a setback. And I really believe natural consequences are a gift from God. They mm-hmm. really are. That is 
They teach us and admonish us, pushing us to a greater sanctification every single time. And if parents shelter their kids from natural or even imposed consequences, yes, they're going to be happier you know, with you while you're at their home. You don't have to deal with all of their emotions because you're not enforcing consequences, but they are going to be completely ill-equipped for life. Mm-hmm. They'll miss class, they won't study, and then they'll blame the professor to get him fired. This, mm-hmm. another instance, you know, where they are shielded from natural consequences of their actions. They didn't study, and then they did this and they got him fired. Y'all, this just produces terrible adults. <laughs> Much less these are pre- pre-med students. I don't want to be, I don't want to be their patient. I don't want to be, you know, the patient of a doctor who couldn't pass organic chemistry and got their professor fired to make the class easier, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So perseverance is this character trait, I think, that defines God people, and it should be desired by parents because without perseverance, the child will absolutely walk away from the faith when the going gets rough. That's just what it is. Mm -hmm. When suffering comes, and it will, it's not an if, Mm -hmm. you know, but it is a when. When suffering comes, they must have the skills to persevere Mm -hmm. and hold fast to Jesus. I, you know, I kind of feel bad. Like I always feel like I'm really holding parents' feet to the flames of, you know, maybe we're doing this wrong, but really this is our job. We have to yeah. allow them to suffer, to make their choices, especially when they're older adolescents, older teenagers, make their, make their choices. And then if they suffer consequences from them, it's fine. Allow them to fail so that they can experience those natural consequences of life. This is our job, right? Not their college professors. They need to mm-hmm. have this before college. Okay. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I have so many thoughts. <laughs> like I have so many thoughts. Um, first of all, I think it's crazy that you picked this headline because yesterday I was perusing some of our old shared Google docs, like way back in the day. And I was writing like a parenting study through Proverbs. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? Yeah, like, it was yeah. like all consuming and Anyways, we were going to publish stuff, be famous, and die happy, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Man. We're still a garage band. (laughs) We're we're still a garage band. But honestly, like, God has grown each of us through this hard stuff, perseverance, right? He Mm -hmm. has taught us perseverance and sanctified us through this process. Um, But I was reading what I wrote on Proverbs 6, and uh, I was, it was, Proverbs 6 talks about, in a, a short little area of it, talks about taking up someone else's debt. And as I was writing it, I was like, I was talking about taking up your kid's debt when they mess up. Mm. Um, And here's what I wrote years ago on what I call anxious parenting. No one in their right mind would take up another person's debt. If we did, it would be out of an impulse to be generous or out of an anxiety over another person's situation. Neither emotion, impulsivity, or anxiousness should be filters that we sift our choices through. But unfortunately, sometimes we use both both emotions to make our choices as as parents. So are you impulsively sticking out your neck to fix your child's problems? Their poor mm. behavior choices, poor life choices, poor relationship choices. Just like it wasn't a good idea for the businessman to take up another's debt, the same goes for our children. Parenting anxiety or impulsivity is no reason to fix your child's problems. Mm-hmm. We too frequently assume that a child's poor choices are somehow a reflection on us. If I had only been a better parent, but that isn't the truth. The truth is they're made in the image of God and their own they are their own person. But they need Jesus to be more involved in a poor choice than they need us. They need us to emulate empathy and grace. And more importantly, we need to stand aside and let Jesus pursue them. Poor choices mm-hmm. are 
a part of not just childhood, but of life, whether good or bad, all of our choices have consequences. And the reason we know this is because we have learned the hard way, just like they might require. One commentator said it would have been foolish on the part of the creditor because the debtor is described as a misfit. I mean, listen, we all love our kids, but let's take a moment to be real. <laughs> they can be misfits. Yeah. Am I right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> their frontal lobe is underdeveloped for much of their time when they live under our roof. And an underdeveloped lobe can make for interesting choices on their part. One of my best friends had to make the very hard decision of allowing their eldest daughter to be homeless. I mean, who in their right mind is that? But what they realized, <laughs> what they realized is that conditioning her to believe that they will always fix her problems prevents her from ever hitting rock bottom and finding Jesus. So we can sum it up like this. Don't look foolish in debting yourself to fixing your kids' poor choices. If they don't study and flunk a test, let them learn from failure. If they work for a boss who doesn't think they're as fantastic as you do, let them learn how to work with dis disagreeable people. If they can work, then they can save money and pay for their own things. That precious frontal lobe needs some exercise through trial and error. So get out of the fouler snare, snare parents, also known as anxious parenting, and be set free. Brave parenting is an exercise of our self-control, even when it makes our heart ache, and letting our children learn positive character qualities through positive and negative consequences. I mean, I yeah. feel like that kind of sums up. Like That was really good. You wrote that? <laughs> I did. I wrote that like, gosh, maybe like seven ago. years ago. Yeah. I know. That's good. No, I think that's I that's exactly what it is. Um, and I heard someone recently say, you know, how we are so, the world has made us so in tune to our emotions that we are emotionally parenting. We are parenting yeah. to keep our kids' emotions stable and we are parenting yeah. to keep our emotions stable. But man, there is no stability in emotions. Our stability yeah. is in Christ and we need, there is a solid uh, foundation of how we can parent yeah. and keeping our kids happy or keeping our kids um, content or not anxious. I mean, like all those things, it's just impossible. We can't do it. Mm -hmm. um, and we should mm -mm. stop trying because absolutely they're yeah, not because now we're going to have, yeah, I'm going to like question all of my doctors now that did you fail in chemistry? <laughs> and then did you, before I go to the doctor, you know, I'm going to have a, a filter a questionnaire for him instead of having a questionnaire for me. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, yeah. I'm just going to be honest. I never failed another class again. Mm -hmm. Like those mm -hmm. two were really hard mm -hmm. and I, it taught me, it taught me so much. Um, those failures, like I said, um, failures can really, really teach us the best life lessons. So absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. Okay. So for my second article, it is from Breakpoint. And if you don't subscribe to that podcast, you should, because it's amazing. Maybe not as amazing as yours truly, of but course, it's up there. Of course, yes. Of course, yes. <laughs> it is on the state of theology. If you don't know, every two years, Ligonier Ministries collaborates with Lifeway Research to evaluate the theological temperature of the American church. Quote, for context, the survey defines evangelical as a Christian believer who meets four criteria, that the Bible is the highest authority for what some believe, for what someone believes, it is important for non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their savior, that Jesus died a death on the cross and is the only sacrifice that removes the penalty of hum humanity's sin, and that only those who trust in him alone receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. So those are the four criteria that define an evangelical who could take this survey. Though that definition is a promising theological start, the results go down quickly from there. For example, nearly half of evangelicals agreed that God, quote, learns and adapts 
to different circumstances is a stark contrast to the biblical doctrine of unchanging nature or his immutability. Okay, so half half of Christian evangelicals are saying that God changes. Yes. Okay, we're just making sure we got this right. Okay. Yep, yep. 65% of evangelicals agreed that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God, denying the doctrine of original sin and with it the very reason that people need salvation in the first place. Some 56% of evangelicals agree that the idea that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, in contrast to Jesus's words in Matthew, that without him, no one knows the Father. So over half, (laughs) just reiterating this, over half of Christians, evangelical Christians, are agreeing, are saying, Mm -hmm. yes, God accepts all religions. Mm-hmm. The okay. worship of all religions. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm wrapping my brain around it. I'm, okay. I know. I know. I know. The most stunning result had to do with the topic of Jesus's divinity. When asked whether they agree that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God, 43% of American evangelicals answered yes. That number is up 13% from just two years ago. So even if we generously allow for some confusion in the phrasing of the questions and what they implied, the state of theology paints a bleak picture. People who claim the title of evangelical, a title that was long defined, at least in part, by adherence to historic Christian belief, stand a good chance of believing humanity is basically good at birth, that God is not concerned with worship or with doctrine being particularly Christian, and that Jesus was a good teacher but not God incarnate. It's also no note. It's also worth noting that these failures are not are not because evangelicals have a low view of scripture. Some 95% after all still agree with the statement that the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches. The implication then is that they simply don't know what it teaches or either because they haven't been taught or they haven't cared enough to learn. End quote. So, here we are. Mm. <laughs> I <laughs> this was incredibly interesting and helpful as we get our hands messy with the work of our young folk. Um, I know that you're teaching right now in youth ministry. And I've taught in women's ministry. And the one thing that we cannot emphasize enough is to read your mm-hmm. Bible, to be in the word daily, to be part of a Bible study and to memorize scripture. I, we would save ourselves so much trouble if that was a priority in our lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I can't, I, I can't emphasize it enough. You can't emphasize it enough. Um, so if you're listening to this, if you're a parent and you're listening to this and you're like, I, you know what, we don't, we don't read our Bible, but we believe everything that's true. And maybe you would resonate or agree with some of the things that I just said about the state of theology. Maybe you would align yourselves with some of those percentages. Um, and you're like, okay, I guess maybe that's not true. Maybe that's not right to believe. And you're thinking, where do I go from here? Um, I just want to suggest as a family, like as my family, we enjoyed um, Kevin DeYoung's book on the Heidelberg Catechism. Yeah, we got on that Sunday. One too. We would read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very, very, very good. Um, on Sunday, we would read a page. My husband would actually read it aloud to us. And it was a great way to begin discussing scripture with our kids, but also historic Christian doctrine. Like there is a reason that our brothers and sisters who went before us died brutal, brutal deaths um, to preserve this doctrine for us. Uh, currently I'm reading a book called why the word matters. It's kind of like an every man's guide to historical Christian doctrines related to scripture. It's very, very good. It's easy enough even for a teenager to read. 
um, it would be a good, it would be good to like spend some time today, just considering how much time we spend on our phones and on our televisions versus how much quality time we spend in the word. Um, I think it was a recent Barna study that looked at why kids leave the church. And when the study looked at kids who hadn't left the church, which is a very small percentage, one of the consistencies across the board for the kids who remained was that they had parents who were actively reading their Bibles in front of their kids. And they were honestly trying to live out their faith in front of their kids. Mm-hmm. But reading their Bibles for the longest time or like, but reading their Bibles for the longest time, I thought like I wasn't a good Christian if I didn't like have my early morning quiet alone time with the Lord. Um, and it used to just really get me down because my schedule doesn't work that way. Like having early morning quiet alone time is not a thing that I can easily um, accommodate. So now I just read my Bible in the middle of the afternoon during like an online class for my kids or something. And I'll read it um, in the middle of my living room because I want them to see me doing it. I don't want to hide my quiet time anymore. I want them Mm -hmm. to know that any time of the day is good because it's about the quality of the time that you're in the word. Um, Yeah. Not when it happens. It's the quality. It's, it's, yeah. So I don't know, Kelly, I have so many thoughts on this, but where are your thoughts on this? Yeah. So, you know, I... I read through the questions when, you know, you post this, I actually did get the email as well. And I can see how some people might be confused on the, the, the wordings of the questions. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you would have asked me those questions, particularly say even five years ago, I, I'm not sure what my answers would be. I have been, I have grown immensely um, really, you know, obviously in the past 10 years, but a, a lot in the past five, especially. So um, I can see how just being a Christian that's not reading the word, you just don't know. I mean, if you're just mm-hmm. showing up to a church and you don't even realize that it's a progressive church that's not teaching, you know, straight biblical um, doctrine, you would just not even know. So right. I can recognize that a lot of the world is in that place. Um, but man, what I would do to just catch everybody who claims Christianity, you know, on fire because it is... Uh, the word is just so alive. And like you said, it is, um, you have to read it, you know, in order to really understand yeah. what its instructions are, you have to read it. So um, I think that when I talk to my high school girls, like you said, mm-hmm. I am constantly imploring them to be in the word. I mean, just last night, I had several come and, and ask for prayer after youth group. And I just, I feel like I'm, you know, far from the Lord and, you know, I'm having all these things. And I, are you reading your word? You know, are you reading the word? <laughs> no, you know, and I get it. You're in high school. There's junior mm-hmm. year. It's so hard. It's very hard and complex, but that's where it is. You know, and I give them mm-hmm. an assignment to read and I follow up with them because that's, that's where it is. If, if you feel mm-hmm. like God is alone, he's right there. He's ready to meet you. And, but mm-hmm. he talks to us through his word. That's primary way. I mean, this is his written word. It is alive and active. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, but the other thing I think about too, when I listen to you talk about that is, man, we really have to identify ourselves as, as sinful human beings. That is just yeah. the nature of who we are. We cannot look at crime. And I'm just, my my heart immediately goes to, say a school shooter, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. you know, a a teenager who for whatever reason then goes and kills other people. Um, that we are sinful human beings. We by our nature are selfish 
and cruel and all of this. And so how can anybody deny that? I mean, we might want to pat ourselves on the back and say, I'm good. I'm a good person. I'm nice. And I don't murder. But look around. It's all over the place. And it has been. And it has been. So, I mean, we don't do any ourselves any justice by saying that um, I'm, I'm born good. And no. I mean, sadly, you don't have to teach it. This is said a million times over. You don't have to teach a two-year-old to say no. Right. You don't have to teach them how to scream and cry for what they want. That is born in them. So ultimately, you know, there is only one way, one truth, one life, and that is Jesus Christ. If every Mm -hmm. believer invested time in knowing what they believe and bolstering their faith with knowledge of, when I say doctrine, I mean, that, that literally can just mean, you know, we are born sinners. That is a doctrine. Um, knowing that and then spreading it to those around them and their youth group and their Bible studies, wherever it is. I mean, we would really have a true revolution on our hands. Instead, mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, mm-hmm. so many Christians remain indifferent to God. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't hate him, mm-hmm. but they're apathetic and they just don't care mm-hmm. enough. And that's mm-hmm. what's really sad. Um, it's that having one foot in both culture and the church And, Mm -hmm. um, it's not, you know, it's not about having some sort of elite knowledge that you have to go to Bible school for. Um, I just fell in love with the word so much that I am going to get my master's in the Bible, um, for that reason. But it literally is just knowing what scripture says. Um, that's just it. And I just, it's true. Our our job as Christians who understand this um, is really to implore all the Christians around us to live, to live this way Mm -hmm. or, Mm -hmm. Or don't call yourself an evangelical Christian. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, and I think that's why, like this this church this church girl song by Beyonce can be popular within the Christian church, and no one says anything about it. Right. I mean, that's that state of theology um, uh, evaluation kind of just goes to show this is why, like, downright spit in God's face heresy exists. Yeah. In the church, because we don't know our word. We are not in it. I had a conversation. I know this is kind of going off track for a second, but I had a conversation with another adult, with an adult who claims to be Christian. Um, and, you know, she was like, well, I don't, you know, I don't like that, you know, um, that I have original sin. You know, I don't like that Adam, you know, is my representative. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't either. Mm-hmm. But this is historic Christian doctrine. If we don't believe in what's called federal headship, which means it's kind of like, you know, when two football players, like the captains of both teams go out onto the football field and they flip a coin and, you know, you know, heads or tails, who gets to go yeah. first, whatever sort of deal. The whole team behind that captain is a part of that decision. And so the whole of humanity is behind Adam mm-hmm. in that decision when they decided to sin. That's called federal headship. He he represents us. That's That's our representative head until we make, until the choice is, is given to us, or, or we make the choice, however you want to say it, that, you know, Christ is our representative head. Right. And that stinks. I know we weren't a part of that, but original sin has to exist within Christian doctrine for us to even recognize that a savior, but the world says, no, 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 it's society who made him bad. It wasn't his heart. He was, <laughs> he was actually a good person. You know, he was kind of like that blank cap, you know, blank tablet, tabula rosa, I think it was called. And it was society who made him bad. So if we can fix society, then we can fix sin. And that is the, I mean, the most bonkers way of doing it ever, because sin is from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Now, not from the outside in. 
I, I don't know. It's yeah. yeah. Sorry. No, you, we could go on and we have gone on for hours mm-hmm. about this, but <laughs> we will for the sake mm-hmm. of time. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything you're saying. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Let's go on to the next and final article. And this is a little bit off topic, but of what we were kind of in the, in the vein that we were, but this title is why Google is scrubbing personal info from search results. If you ask nicely. So this was posted on October 1st, uh, 2022 on Gizmodo. And it says, quote, today, lots of people can find out personal information about you, your phone number, your physical address with a simple Google search. Well, of course, this is not always ideal or frankly comfortable. Google knows this and it's now giving opportunity for people, um, giving them the chance to scrub this information from its all-knowing search engine. The search giant launched, quote, results about you a new tool that allows users to request the removal of their physical address, phone number, and email with just a few clicks. In addition, beginning next year, users will also be able to set alerts on their personal information and results about you, which will enable them to ask Google to remove it faster. The feature is available in the Google app and also in your browser via individual search results. So immediately I want to say, hey, this is great. What a charitable option from Google. It's almost as though they care about the general public of society and the data that they're <laughs> and that the data that their company has exploited over the past decade. Yes, right? So <clears throat> reading deeper into the story, it seems as though this new feature is just an effort of clarification on Google's part because their policies were really ambiguous previously. They had policies for the removal of, say, non-consensual images, involuntary fake porn, content on sites with exploitative practices, doxing content, images of minor, and irrelevant pornography under my name. Okay, those are the categories that they had, or policies that they had regarding removal of content. So the mere fact that there were categories for the removal previously in those categories shows that there is a massive amount of explicit Mm. content that can possibly get connected to an innocent person's name. They're promoting this now saying, hey, remove your phone number or address. But what was going on was so many people were complaining, I can't get this um, non-consensual, you know, pornography or whatever that was made under my name or under my likeness. Or a picture of mm-hmm. me that I, you know, I accidentally allowed to be taken, whatever that may be. Um, I can't get this off of Google. And mm-hmm. so there was tons of complaints. And so now here we are. Now we've got this results about you, which is, I mean, it is legitimately a good option. So when I think about this biblically, really how to process this, you know, again, I want to praise. Thank you, Google. <laughs> but processing it further means I have to reconcile the fact that there are people out there We want to talk about the original sinful nature. Um, There are Mm -hmm. people out there who are making money off of exploiting innocent people's names. Mm -hmm. Why would anyone want your phone number and address? Why would that be concerning if we weren't sinful? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I mean, why? Mm -hmm. If we were all good people, then this wouldn't be a big Mm -hmm. deal. But we're not, right? There's tons of people who want to exploit. And part of this can be images that were taken, say, in the teenage years before the frontal lobe of the brain is developed. And now those pictures are being used, sold to pornographic websites, right? And 
we put we put cameras and you know personal cameras in our kids' hands when we give them a phone, and we know mm-hmm. that sexting is a problem, and we're oh gosh, not yes. we're, you know we're not concerned that some of these pictures are going to end up on the internet. So you know, we also have to take into account that deep fake technology, which I don't even think we've touched on yet in the podcast, but that's that's a real problem that it deserves its own mm-hmm. little podcast, but mm-hmm. that can potentially mm-hmm. make inappropriate content off of anyone's likeness. So taking mm-hmm. this all into consideration, you know, my heart immediately is reminded that the internet as a whole cannot be trusted. This is not mm-hmm. our go-to best friend. And Google is really synonymous with the internet for kids. And mm-hmm. there, you know, and it's not a place for our kids to just be hanging out all the time. You know, Google has done a fantastic job of indoctrinating our children to be their one-stop shop for all things, everything from Google Classroom to YouTube. But the reality is, is they cannot control the content that is on the internet. Google (laughs) ultimately is a search engine and they are making, I don't even know, I want to say billions. I have no idea, but they're huge. We know this. They've become their own noun, verb, adjective, you name it. Mm -hmm. So as parents, Mm -hmm. I think... We often think that we don't have a leg to stand on teaching our kids about digital literacy or online safety, because let's be real, our kids generally do know more than us. They've got more time to figure it out. But scripture tells us over and over and over again, the importance of imparting wisdom and common sense to children. Mm-hmm. Proverbs is all about this. You know, the first uh, you know, nine chapters is all like, my son, listen, please, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> over and mm-hmm. over. It is a parent to a child saying, this is the way to walk. And Proverbs mm-hmm. 7, for example, begins and ends with a parent encouraging and emphasizing the need for their child to take their wisdom to heart regarding sexual immorality. The parent mm-hmm. says that this is kind of like my own version, but the parent's saying, hey, Look at all these young people being taken captive by the harlot. They're walking right by her house. Oh, and imagine that. She's right there to greet them and coerce them inside for sexual reverie. She Mm -hmm. even assures them that no one will ever know. And then Mm -hmm. after the parent describes the scene to the child, this is all in Proverbs 7. You need to go read it today. The, The parent says, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her, the harlot, the sexual immorality to her ways. Do not Mm -hmm. stray into her paths for the victims Mm -hmm. she has cast down are numerous. They're numerous. And so again, my my translation, but if I extrapolate that into modern times, we can absolutely say this harlot's house is equal to all the risque places um, on the internet, social media, Snapchat direct messages, OnlyFans, Pornhub, that's all of these places. There are tons of places where sexual immorality dwells online, and these companies want nothing more than brand new visitors they can rope in. Yeah. They, who is going to emphatically tell your children of the dangers of the internet if not you? I can mm-hmm. tell you that the schools will not, and I can assure you that their peers are not going to tell them don't go anywhere near her. Don't, you know, do not. The ones that she has cast down and slain are numerous, but someone Mm -hmm. must discuss uh, this concept of sexual content and the internet with them. And that person is you, mom and dad. Just because Mm -hmm. they can have their name scrubbed clean from Google now, 
and all of this content and pictures or whatever removed does not mean that the shame, the humiliation and fear associated with such pictures themselves floating around the internet is going to go away. It's, it's yeah. just not. Ultimately, it's not about our phone number and our address needing to be scrubbed clean, you know, because a few people might want to exploit that. Ultimately, we're talking about Google is doing this because there is so much explicit content that needs to be removed, that is being requested to be removed. So mm -hmm. what do you think? Mm -hmm. Kelly, this only exists because many of us has, have sown into the wind and now we are reaping the whirlwind. Mm -hmm. I, you know, we are now... Uh, where we are now personally is because we did some stuff wrong. You know what? I can be, I can confess that I overposted and I overshared specifically about my kids because I thought, man, I can live vicariously through them and whatever. And it was wrong. And I am so thankful that the Holy Spirit convicted me years ago, but for some, they've been sewing for a lot longer and I keep going back to what it has done or what it will do to our children. You know, I, these chickens have not come home to roost yet. I believe we are just beginning to see the fallout um, because it hasn't quite hit the level we're prepared for. You and I both know, we've talked a lot, a lot about this, that Marxism is pushing for the destruction of the parent-child relationship. 100% Marxism is a destructive ideology. That's all it can do is destroy. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing it in the transgender movement. Um, for instance, in California, Governor Newsom is supposed to sign. Actually, I believe he did sign. I just saw it. It'll probably be on our next Worldview Wednesday. Um, uh, sign a bill 107. Um, and I've read it, I've read through it, <clears throat> and it would allow California to become a safe haven state for trans kids. So if a child, for instance, runs away to California and decides to start medically transitioning, the state would protect the child's right to transition without parent consent, and it would even withhold medical information from the parent. Um, in Canada, a dad was arrested, arrested, folks, listen to me, arrested for not calling his daughter by her preferred pronouns. In schools, children or teachers are trained to become allies and protect kids from oppressive parents. So all that to say is the movement to destroy the parent-child relationship is going to use anything it can get its hands on, like parents who overshared and overposted about their kids, parents who didn't protect their kids from the dangers of the internet. It's going to turn around and it's going to bite us all in the rear end if we don't put a stop <laughs> to it now. That's the truth of it, Kel. Like, yeah. I can't. Yeah. It is going, it's uh, everything yes. that we have put. Yeah, it's true. I mean, yes. we say like, we're just sharing our kids' lives or whatever. And I see your point. I mean, we don't know mm -mm. how that's going to mm -mm. be used against us as parents saying mm -mm. that we oppress them. We injured them because we posted pictures of them, you know, doing mm -hmm. something silly when they were four years old. Mm -hmm. um, it's true. We, I mean, and we may be the ones begging Google to scrub the content that we've posted <laughs> off. Yep. Of, of yeah. our kids. I mean, we really just don't know. We are in a big experiment um, when it comes to yep. the internet and the posting and sharing. And, um, yep. you know, I think there's just good lessons on things that we talked about today. If you thought that we were all born good, again, go to the internet. You will find. <laughs> I mean, You'll find can, original sin. <laughs> can you, yeah. Can you put your credit card out there and no one's going to take it and use it? I right. don't think so. I mean, I think you're going to have right. millions line up. <laughs> right. Um, right to do that. So nonetheless, it is a good feature if for some reason you have fallen into a place where you need Google to scrub some information. But I do think that having a conversation with our kids saying just because you can have your, say, social media scrubs or your you know Google search information scrubbed 
doesn't mean that we don't need to really impart the wisdom to our kids of being careful of what is posted online, always being cautious of how much information we are putting out there. That's, Mm -hmm. that's the Mm -hmm. ultimate takeaway. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a great conversation of some fun and, uh, interesting headlines (laughs) that really meet us here at the intersection of um, our worldview as a Christ follower and just living in a a world of the internet and media and technology. So Chelsea, thank you for your research and wisdom. This was great. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you gleaned um, some encouragement, wisdom as well. As always, feel free to reach out to us at podcast at braveparenting.net. And until next time, go and be brave. We'll see y'all later.